In this church, we have many, for quite a while now, have talked about Jesus Christ as a preeminent and important part of our walk and what we do and what we believe. It's part of our singing, and it is part of our preaching, and it's part of our teaching. So in that, I wanted to do, turn around and try to give us a feeling of what Christ how the Bible talks about him being integrated into our lives and what that means to kind of give us a different perspective. And so I thought we'd start with this. Um, I apologize now for all you people who like to take notes. You're going to be bombarded with a lot of text. My, I like to make the things correlate to show you that the Bible's interwoven, that you could actually pull it all together at different places and it speaks to itself. So it's all connected. So if you or a copious note taker and you miss some stuff, just email me. My email is on the website and I'll be more than happy to share you all the text that I'm using today. So let's take a little gander in the Bible first before we start our text in John 17. So everyone who wants to follow John 17, you could turn your Bible there, you could queue up your iPad, flick your phone and get that set up while I walk through these other texts. In Romans 3, 23 and 25, it says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith. This is to demonstrate His righteousness because, of, because in the forbearance of God, He passed over the sins previously committed. In Jesus Christ, we're saved. Acts 10, 48 says, He ordered them to be baptized in Jesus Christ. First half, we're baptized by Christ's name. Romans six eleven. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive in God, in Christ. 2 Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old has passed away. Before, behold, new things have come. We are new in Christ. Romans 8.1, therefore, therefore, there is no condemnation in those who are in Jesus Christ. We are spared of God's wrath through our accepting Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. Romans 8.17, if, if children heirs also, if heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ... If we suffer with him, so we will be glorified with him. We are heirs with God and Jesus. Ephesians 2.10. Ron had covered Ephesians very well, and this text falls within that same understanding what God has done for us. We are, we are his workmanships created in Jesus Christ for good works which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Ephesians 4.32, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. Ephesians 5.1 and 2, Therefore be imitators of God as a beloved children. Walk in love just as Christ also walked, also loved you and gave himself for you. And offered in a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Philippians 1, 29, for it, for to you it has been granted that Christ, for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Philippians 2, 5, 
have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus. Colossians 2.6, Therefore, as you have received Jesus Christ as your Lord, so walk in Him. Colossians 3.3, 3, For you have died, and you, your life is hidden in Christ. 1 John 3.23, This is His commandment, that you walk in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as He commanded you. Second John one nine. Anyone who gives, who goes far, goes too far, and does not abide in the teachings of Christ, does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching, he is both the Father and the Son. As you can see here, these are non-slot verses, and they're just a small sample of everything that our relationship is with Jesus and what it means, and what a relationship should be or can be. His work saves us, he, our propitiation, we are new. And there's no condemnation, we're heirs with God. It exhorts us to be Christ-like, new in Him, sacrifice to God, a fragrant aroma, baptized, killing sin, submission to God's will, kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving, beloved children, walk in love suffer for his sake, an attitude of Christ, so walk in him. We have died to our sins, abide in the teachings of Christ. All these things tie together how God wants us to consider being like Christ, Christ part of our lives. So this brings us to the point of, do we understand what it means to be Christ-like? And the Bible helps us to illustrate this through this text. And we want to use this text tonight, uh, this morning, excuse me, is John 17. And so let's turn to John 17. And we'll see what Jesus is, is like and what his personality and heart is felt. 17.1, Jesus spoke these things and looked up into heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so that the son may be glory, may glorify you. For you gave him authority over all flesh so he may give eternal life to all you have given him. This is eternal life that you, that they may know you and only true God and the one who you sent, Jesus Christ. I have glorified you on earth by completing the work you have gave me to do. Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with, the, with that glory that I had with you before the, the world existed. I have revealed your name to the, to the men you have given me in, from the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they, and they have kept your word. Now they know that all things that have that. You have given me or are from you because the words, the words that you gave me, I have given them. They have kept them. They have known for certain that I came from you. They have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for those you have given me because they are yours. And everything that you have is mine and I have given, been and you, I have been glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. I am coming to you, 
Holy Father, protect them by your name that you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them by the, your name that you have given me. I guarded them. Not one of them was lost except for the son of destruction so that the scriptures may be fulfilled. Now that I am coming to you, I speak these things in the word, in the world so that they may know my joy c- completed in them. I have given them your word. The world hates them because they are not of the world. I am not of the world, and I am praying for them that you do not take them out of the world, but you protect them from the evil one. The, they are not of the world, and I am not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also sent them into the world. I sanctify myself for them so they also may be sanctified in truth. I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their message. May they also be one as the you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be one in us so that the world may believe you sent me. I have given them the glory that you have given me. May they be one as we are one. I am in the world and you are in, I am in them and you are in me. May they be completely one so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire those who you have given me to be with me where I am. And then they will see my glory, which you have given me, because you loved me before the foundations of the world. Righteous Father, the love has not, the world has not known you. However, I have known you, and these have known you, that you have sent me. I have made known, made your name known to them, and will make it known, so that the love you have loved me with may be in them and I may be in them. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you that your word is so rich, that your word illustrates how much you love us, how much you care for us. Father, I pray that as we learn and grow and see what Jesus' heart is like and his desires for us as in this prayer, that you help clear our minds, help me to give the message that you need each person to hear that will shape them and encourage them and strengthen them and lift them closer to you so that you will be able to guide them through this. That will make clear, use the Spirit to soften the hearts and clear our minds. May this message hallow your name, Father. Father, I just pray all these things in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. As you can see, this text, if you... Um, Track it's right be, it comes after closing of the sections of fourteen to sixteen in John, and what it does is it closes out just he's praying with the elders or disciples I should say right before the Garden of Gethsemane so he's still in the upper room and he's praying this prayer actually allows them to see his heart they're with him they understand how he feels what his desires are and where he is going to uh, plead with God and so they see this. And so what we get is he knew 
that this was part of God's plan. He knew that he was going to be that servant, right? In Isaiah, in Isaiah 53, he knew that God planned for him that he was right before going to the cross, or just hours before that. Judas already had left, and he was in the middle of portraying him, and the next section is where we see Jesus portrayed. And so let's look at where Jesus, what Jesus' heart is, and let's get to know him a little better. In 53, Isaiah 53, we see where this where he understood God's plan. It says, but the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If we would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hands. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will sanctify the many as he will bear their iniquities. Here it is that God's prophesying that Jesus will come and he will die on the cross for everyone. And he, God will see that as a total propitiation as we saw in Romans. That he will be the sacrifice for all the sins it will please God, but God will recognize that it will bring many to himself and they will come to know him and his son. Jesus knew his role. He understood it. He understood he would leave from heaven, come down. We see this in Philippians 2.6. Who, who existing in the former God did not consider quality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Or some say, some verses says, a thing to be grasped. He knew he was leaving out of heaven. He wanted to submit to God's will, his plan, and he willingly did it. So he put aside his glory for this time to, to complete God's mission for him. He was willing to do this. It's Jesus in John 1, 1 and 3, again says, in the, word was the, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And the word was God. And he was in the beginning with God. And all things came into, came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that, came, that was to come into being. So he was with God. He left his heavenly realm to sub subject himself to... He didn't really subject himself, actually. He was willing to do God's mission for us. And so I wanted to paint a picture that God... And him were very close. He would desired. This is something he desired to do. You don't see anywhere where he is unhappy about this. Garden of Gethsemane talks about the anguish, but in the end, he still was willing to submit to the Lord to fulfill his plan. And what is God's plan? To bring many to himself. And he needed someone to take the wrath away. And his son was more than willing to fulfill that plea or that desire. But we understand that when we read this prayer, how deep the relationship between him and his father are. You get that in the beginning that he just, first several verses, we're seeing where he desires to be with his father. He wants to be back with him. He's completed the work. He wants to glorify him. He wants to be subject to all things that God needs him to do so that he will glorify God in the end through the action of what he's done. makes me think about my prayer time. Do I have that same loving desire to want to 
share and grow and understand and love enough the way Jesus loved enough his father to be submitted to his will, to pine to be back with him, to desire to get back to what he needs to be in his glorious form. I mean, we think about the length and time of Jesus' ministry is very small, and he was away from God at that point. But we, when we go all the way back, that he talks about being created at the beginning of the world of time, being the foundations of the world, they existed. It doesn't talk about how much existed before there because they're not created beings. An incredibly deep relationship they have. And you, I kind of equated it in my says, I was thinking about it. It's like when you want to see your family or a good friend and you kind of get that excitement because the relationship you have is deep and solid and strong. And when that person comes or when they're coming, the excitement of wanting that relationship and see them at that time goes forward. And here he is. Jesus knows he's at the end of his ministry of supporting God's plan. And he will be back with God. He'll be back with that close relationship that he has been out of since the time of his time on earth as he's in the human form. So, it's kind of a simple way for me to think about it, but I can't comprehend that kind of depth of love. I could comprehend the excitement of seeing someone in that love I have, but it's so small compared to the ultimate length of what God and Jesus had his father. In verse 2, we see that God has given him all authority. And that authority is given because of, of what he's done. We see that in John 3.23. John the Baptist illustrates the same thing. 3.33-36. He who has received his testimony has sent his seal to this. That God is true. For he whom God has sent speaks the word of God for he gives the spirit without measure. That blew me away. You think about that. Without measure, he gives the spirit. It's not a small amount. It's not a little amount. It's whatever he believes you need. He gives it without measure. Father, the father loves the son and has given him all things into his hand. There's the authority. He who believes in the son has eternal life, but he who does not, Obey the Son, will not see life, but the wrath of God. There's the condition. But in three, Jesus turns around and prays out what exactly eternal life looks like. It says, this is eternal life, that they may know you and the only true God, the, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. These are like the components of salvation, right? To know God, then you recognize and then God knows God gave his son, then the son did the work for his, <laughs> the son did the work for what does God want him to do to bring salvation to all. The, the part that we just saw is that by receiving Jesus Christ and knowing him, then you understand what he's done for us and why he's done for us. And that makes us even love him more. But that salvation starts with knowing that God sent his son and that his son died for our sins, and the wrath is against us until we repent of our sins and accept the Lord's son, Jesus Christ. But that comes by what? Romans ten seventeen. So faith comes from hearing, hearing the word of Christ. We hear the word, we get to obey the word. It actually moves and works in our lives. 
that is where salvation begins. Because if we can't know God, if we aren't reading, we can't know Christ, if we aren't reading, people can tell us, which is great. God uses people to share what they're reading and what they're learning. But it helps us to recognize that we need to hear and see the word of God. Verse 4, he moves through and he says that now the Father glorifies me and glorify me in your presence. So you get back to seeing what that relationship that he glorifies, how much he loves that same equal. They have that same pining. He has a pining desire to be back with his Father. And his Father will glorify him back to his righteous place, right, rightful place where he was before. John 6, 40 says, For this is, the, this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him, out of the, um, believes in him, excuse me, will have eternal life in myself. I will raise him up on the last day. John 8, 18, I am he who testifies for my, about myself, and the Father who sets me, sent me testifies about me. John 10, 29, my father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of his hand. The father and him are close. He reiterates and how he's proclaiming the father. He's talking about how the relationship works that God gives to him and he gives to us. And through that, they, we understand that God and him are connected, that God tells him what to do. God is almighty powerful. When you think about that, 29, no one is able to snatch us out of the God's hands. That's pretty profound for me that I have eternal life with a God who desires so much to be, have you as part of his family and me as part of his family that we don't disappear, we don't fall away. He wants that relationship so much with us that he gave his son. Then you will, we'll see later on how his son so much wants us, as we read earlier, to be part of that relationship. The relationship is very deep, very strong, and God's determined to protect it. It says, um, in, in the other half of four, Jesus models completely his submission to the Father. Completing, completing the work you gave to me. He's determined to tell God, I'm going to finish what you gave me. Your plan is perfect, and I want to do it. Sometimes I think to myself, do I have that same attitude? Do I committed to the Lord the same way? And that this is a good challenge for even for me. And so he talks about these things that that love, because he realizes what God's word is he sees God's word. He says God's word to his people to commit to that plan. His plan, he demonstrated miracles. and demonstrated only that he'd come from God. He illustrated God's love, God's mercy, compassion, and knowledge. How many times do we go back and reflect the gospels and they thought about, you know, how he was able to teach, what his ability was to do miracles and perform these things. And even at times even said that had to come from God. And so, Jesus proclaims to his father that he wants to get back into heaven, into the glory, because he misses that relationship. And that relationship was deep. And you think about how 
times that he had been off in the ministry and he'd go off and take time and just pray by himself one more time talking about how he prayed and was spending time in prayer to who? To his father. And so he was determined to continue to commune with what he was missing. In sections, the, the first, um, the next section is Jesus loves his disciples. I call this section. Verses 16 to 19. Jesus reveals to his father that the apostles during his ministry, Jesus' ability to teach and quote God illustrated all these things about him. But also, we see that God chose the disciples for him. He handpicked each one. My father has given them to me. 1029, as we read earlier. God chose these ones. Now remember, he chose the 12, but one fell away because God had a plan for Judas. But in John 6, 22 to 29, Jesus uses the metaphor about eating and drinking to illustrate the necessity that we need Jesus Christ to the Pharisees. And he turns around and says, eat, I am the bread of life. Just like the manna was the bread of life in the Old Testament. And remember, they ate the manna all the time for 40 years and it sustained them and it kept them alive. And so he's telling them, I am the bread of life. You need to eat me. Then he kind of changes and increases the metaphor and says, I am now, eat my flesh and eat and drink my blood. And he's trying to illustrate, you need to consume all of me. And when you took the blood, that was against the law. The law said very clearly you weren't to drink any blood or any animals that had not been bled out. And so he's showing that this is what we're talking about, that you need to eat and drink all of me, consume me, because I am the life, I am the way. And to get to verse 60, and 660 says, therefore many of the disciples heard this, and they said, this teaching is hard. Who can accept it? Then Jesus says in 63, the spirit is the one who gives life. The flesh cannot help at all. The word that you have spoken to you are spirit and our life. And he continues in 66, he says, we see from that moment, many of his disciples turned away and no longer accompanied him. Therefore, Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away too? Do you? And Simon Peter in 68 answers, Lord, who will we go to? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Here Peter speaks for the 12. He gets it. They understand that he is from God. Where he says, I have made mine, your word known. They know you. Jesus had illustrated that he had helped them to understand that he is from God. That he had God's word that he was from God, God planned. They totally committed to that, and they said, we won't leave. We're committed to you. Where would we go? He answers effectively. In 7, now they know all, I'm sorry, back in 17, I won't, I'll tell you where I'm at so you don't go crazy. 
John 17, 7, it says, Now they know that all things you have given me are from you. Because the word that you have gave me, I have given them. They have received them. They have known for certain that I came from you. They have believed that you sent me. This is what Peter just said, right? Peter just illustrated that whole point that they knew he came from God, that they knew he, they taught them from God, they knew everything he did was from God. I like to think, you know, you think about the apostles sometimes and you say, wow, it'd be cool to be in, with them in Jesus' ministry, walking side by side and being with them, seeing Jesus do all these really cool things, see him do the miracles. But then sometimes I think, it'd probably be like really wild at the same time, right? When you come across and you get out of the boat and then all of a sudden, the gentleman with the demon of legions comes running down to you and what he describes this gentleman, the first thing I'd be like, okay, I'm behind you, Jesus, you know, hold on. It's so because that would be really scary, you know, seeing, in the, and he didn't, do demon, didn't pull demons out of people once. He did it multiple times. Think about when the times he was with the Sadducees and Pharisees and he's having these intense discussions as they were trying to trick him. Now, you know, it seemed to be Jesus seemed to be pretty calm at times, but you obviously knew that Sadducees and Pharisees weren't because what was the end? And then they went and planned to kill him. So you know they left angry. So as you see the excitement of the miracles, you see the excitement of maybe walking on water and hearing all the teachings, there's a lot of challenging parts of the ministry too. And so when you look at the ministry, it was very up and down in a good way. But in the end, what does it say? Peter says, where would we go? And in the end, after Jesus dies, what did they do? Jeff clearly presented that last week when they went to proclaim the gospel out from Jerusalem once they got the Holy Spirit. They never wavered through that whole ministry. The ups and the downs, the challenge, the miracles. That's pretty incredible. They understood. They connected. And so that non-wavering helps me to think about do we waver? How many times does life get really hard and get challenging for us, right? Nothing like theirs. But our life gets crazy at times. Sometimes we're brought things into our life that is like, I can't handle this. This is way over my head. And what did we do? These guys did like apostles. Did I surrender myself to your teaching? What did Jesus say? Did I surrender myself to your teaching, your will, your plan? These two groups, Jesus made it clear that he was from God and helped them. And he loved God so much that he was more than willing to take the mission and complete the mission. And the apostle said, you chose me, brought me, and I've been through the mission. I'm willing to complete the mission. And they all had a mission that God planned. God had moved them and said, that this is my plan for you, but you don't see it yet, but just keep following. And they did without wavering. And that was very exciting to me but it gave me great encouragement as I came across that realization this week as Jesus moves through his prayers he specifically lifts them up to the father for the mission they had done I pray for them not that I'm praying for the world but I pray for those who have given me because they are yours he, he lifts them up to the father he saw what they needed. He saw them mature. He saw them grow. He saw them not waver. And he prays for them to the Father. Jesus left them 
to complete their own ministry. And they had to go and move forward and do that. But he asked for their protection in their ministry, right? He says, the Holy Father protect them by your name that you have given me, verse 12. And he requests that the apostles become one with them so that they may be one as we are one, verse 11. Jesus loved these men. It's very clear, his love and passion for these men. It was very evident as he asked for unity with them and unity amongst them. The term Holy Father in verse 11, Jesus, you get a feeling that you see that his intimacy with his father, he calls him father, but he uses the holy part to talk about God's total righteous, radiant holiness. It says, now I am coming to you in verse 13 that you speak these things not in the world so that they may know my joy completed in them. I have given them your word. The world hates them because they are not of the world as I am not of the world. I am not praying that you take them out of the world but protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world. I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. You sent me into the world as I have sent them into the world. Sanctify them for they, sanctify them for, so they will also may know that be sanctified by the truth. So they may also be sanctified by the truth. Excuse me. In this request, he talks about several things how he wants, he's praying for them specifically, but he has this theme that he brings out that he's trying to show the relationship between his father and him. He said in First John, in John, not First John, John eleven forty one. He kind of reiterates this same love for the Father that he's talking about here when he went to go and they, Mary and Martha asked him and say, Lazarus has died. Come, he's sick, and then he dies, and then by the time he gets to Lazarus, he's already passed away and he's already in the grave, in the tomb. And so we pick it up in forty one. It says, so they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me because the crowd standing here, I said this so that they may believe you sent me. What we see here is Jesus constantly pleading to have everyone understand that God exists and that he came from God and that God loves him. I mean, he says that you always hear me. Think of that relationship. Like Jesus prays to him and he hears him. He doesn't say, you sometimes hear me. You may not hear me. My cell phone buzzed and I couldn't get to you. I saw a text message, but I couldn't get to you. He says, God, you always hear me. Jesus also prays for his disciples in this period some specific things. He prays to protect them. He prays that they may have his Jesus' joy, that he gave them their word, and he, the protection from Satan and his temptations, and to sanctify them by their word, to encourage them to grow deeper and move forward in life. But then he shifts his prayer to the next section, and that is us. Like this is Jesus loves the future believers. 
in verses 20 to 26. I pray not only for those, but those who will believe in me through their message. Right now, he just, in his middle of his prayer, just brought us into that prayer. He is now raising and lifting us up. He lifted God up and talked about how much he loved his father. He turned around and lifted the disciples up and said how much he loved them and how obedient they were. Now he says, I want to lift you up, me up. And we're not even a twinkle in anyone's eye. There's no family tree that goes back that big and, you know, that we're going to find genealogy-wise. And he chose us when? Before the foundations of the world. And he put your name where? In the book of life. So he is right now in prayer with the disciples talking about that. I will use you, men, to proclaim your gospel. Jeff talked about this. Through their word, which is God's word which is the real meaning of when they saw Jesus Christ, when they walked with Christ, and they did that. And so in that, we see that <clears throat> the love that God has for you and I, that Jesus has for you and I, and that plan was to bring us to him unconditionally. The New Testament writers made this, under, made this uh, realization clear in their heads when they understood what Jesus was doing and how Jesus is an intricate part of our salvation. And they capture it here. Romans 8.34 Who is the one who condemns? Jesus Christ is the one is Jesus Christ who died? Yes, rather he was raised. Who is at the right hand of God who always intercedes for us? 1 Timothy 5, 2, 5 and 6. For there is one God, one mediator between God and humanity. Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus himself, human, who gave himself as a ransom for all, a testimony at the proper time. He mediates for us. Hebrews 7, 26, 25, excuse me. Therefore, he is always able to save those who come to God through him, since he always lives to intercede for them. These three verses by Paul and Hebrews talk about as we're born again that Jesus comes and interfaces with God. He intercedes for us. He's in the presence of God for you. And we just read where he says, and in Lazarus in John 11, he always hears him. Now, it doesn't mean every prayer you pray is going to be answered at the instant you pray it, because God demands not God's plan, but you know you have an advocate, your Savior, who lovingly sits with his Father and pleads for us, interfaces for us. Why? Because he loves you. Because if he didn't love you, he wouldn't have come for us. To me, that's like, a, wow, it's incredible. Twenty-one, back in seventeen, may they all be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, so that the world may believe you sent me. He doesn't only ask for us to believe him. He wants us to, he's asking the Father to build us up as a believers into one connected 
caring, all brotherly loving. He continues to request his father become one with them. He wants us to be unified in each other, growing in each other because they are unified and they love each other and he wants to share that love with us. He wants us to be part of that love to see and pertain and grow in them. Jesus already stated this to the disciples about the being brotherly love in John 13, 34, and 35. I give you a new commandment. Love one another just as I have loved you. You must always love one another. By all people, by, all, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Modeling the father and the son's relationship, this is what we'd be doing as we grow in Christ. So now, Jesus is praying for unity with the I mean, Father for us, so we may grow and be deeper in Him. In the book by Mark Dever and Jamie Dunlop, the compelling community where God's power makes God's unity between Him and His Son and through His Son to us, they illustrate this. This is what they say. When community in a local church defies natural explanation, it confirms a supernatural power of the gospel. But the gospel doesn't end with our salvation. It leads to some very disruptive implications. The implication number one, unity. You can't physically see the gospel. It's simply truth. But when we encourage community, that is obviously supernatural. It makes the gospel visible. They're illustrating that our lives don't always seem connected with each other, right? Sometimes our personalities don't always connect in in most normal outside areas, right? You go to work, not everyone's on the same plane, not everyone's loving each other. My personality, I like to say, I'm a quintessential caveman. I'd love to be in the cave, and I might once in a while come out with a torch to see what the weather's like, but if I have everything I need in my cave, I will be more than happy to stay there. People who know me usually say, well, Steve, that's not normally you, but that tells you how long you've known me. My mom can tell you some really good stories. And so it's only by God's grace in changing me that I'm here. And I can't take any credit for anything, but I could look back and see the journey God does, and that's what God does. That's why we love to be together, because we all have what one common theme. Jesus Christ is our personal Lord and Savior. We know Him. We love Him. We love God for bringing Him into our lives. Jesus prays for unity. It's not a small thing here. He states it twice in verses 21 and 22. May they also be one in us. That means that unity comes not only with between us, but with him and, and his father. May they also be one as we are one, the model. He prays that we may be helped in a way in verse 23 that says, 
I am in them and you are in me that they may be completely one so that the world may know that we have sent and I have loved them as you have loved me. We help illustrate this love that God is love and God wants to be with us and that he gave his son. 24, the father, I desire that those who have given me be with me here me where I am that they may see my glory which you have given me because you loved me before the world's foundations he wants us to be in heaven with him to see who he really is not the human form but the total radiant glorious form that he holds with God he desires we will see that when we believe in him at the end of our life when we go to heaven revelations 21, 23 gives us a glimpse of what that radiance is. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it because God's glory illuminates it and its lamp is the lamb that is Jesus. No moon, the light just glorifies all radiantly bright in heaven. We come down towards the end. 25, righteous father, the world has not known you. However, I have known you. And these have known you that you sent me. I made your name known to them and they will make it known. So they love you. Have the, for, so the love you have loved me with, with maybe in them and I in them. 25, Jesus proclaims to his holy father, their relationship, the interaction. He continues to close the prayer that we are close and we have a strong relationship. And he wants to make his father known to the world. Which gets back to what he said in verse 3, that they may know that God sent his son. When I was the beginning, he wanted the world know that God sent his son. 26, he says, I am in... I am. I made your name known to them, and then he says, "And will we make it known?" It's not stopping. He's not saying it's ended. He said, "I will continue to make it known." How does that happen? What did Jesus say? As Jeff pointed out last week, He gave us the Holy Spirit, which points to Christ, which helps us understand the Word of God. It helps us to love Him deeper. Helps us to understand who it is and what it is we love. He closes the prayer so that so the love you loved me with may be in them. So he's one more time closes his prayer that he wants us to experience this deep love that him and his father have. He wants it to be tr- transformed to us so that we will understand all that Christ and God has done for us. It's hard, to, hard for me not to find myself awestruck when you think back all that God did and why he wanted to do it and all that Christ did and why he desired to do it. He was willing to do his father's plan and to love because he loved his father so much. And his father loved his son so much for doing the plan, he gave him all authority. The hole in our holiness by Kevin DeYoung, a hole in our holiness filling the gap between the gospel and the passion of the pursuit of godliness. He writes, see, most of us know we are supposed to be like Jesus. 
On our better days, we, want, we even want to be like Jesus. We love, to, we love for someone to look at our lives and see our godliness and say, wow, only you and Jesus can do that. This is not a bad sediment. But the problem is the word and. This conjunction ought to be a preposition. Only you in Jesus can you do that. Christ-likeness is, a possible, is possible, but not by merely working with Jesus or simply imitating his example. Only by knowing our position in Jesus Christ, we begin to live like Christ. Only knowing that without Christ, we are nothing. And he did it with 100% love for you and I. And he did it 100% love for his father. And he willingly took that road, took that ministry, and ran with it to the bitter end. And the apostles got it, and they ran with it to the bitter end. Now we get to run with our love and our relationship with the Lord to the bitter end. Uh-oh, clock shock. Dietrich Bonhoeffer illustrates this. There's two sides to our uh, salvation. He kind of quotes it like this. He says, you have cheap grace where you understand the first side and you don't live the second side. Or, and he calls it this way. He says, those who believe obey. Those who obey believe. What he's saying is that to believe and obey, but then when you desire to obey, you believe because you understand your obedience is because you want to please the Lord, not because you have to please the Lord. It's not my ticket into this heaven. It is the reality that I love my Savior so much, in or out, that love I have for him, I want to do. And that's where the unity, that's where the commitment that Jesus has been praying this whole time, that we are unified because of Christ. Now you may be at this point thinking, Steve, I'm not there yet. I'm not sure how to get there. I'm not even close to being there. Let me encourage you this. This prayer is an excellent roadmap to get us back to understanding how much your Savior, a Savior, loves you. It is the opportunity to look through these verses and understand the love of God. The best thing about God, which I absolutely love the most, we just draw a line in the sand today, and he says, you just repent of everything today, and we move forward. He doesn't look back. Only we look back. Satan says, look back. Look how bad you've done. Eh, right? Satan does that to us. I call it the billy club method. He gives us the billy club, and I beat myself to death how terrible I am. God just says, just repent. And I love you. He sa- you know, when he says, his word says, I throw it as far as the east is to the west. Hey, you know, I, I, I've worked in this um, principal investigator's office, a pro- scientist. 
And he had the picture of um, the Milky Way. And it was kind of weird because the Milky Way is kind of flat as I digress. The Milky Way is kind of flat. And it kind of looks like to me like an octopus. It has all these arms going out. And when you start pointing where you are on the Milky Way, you recognize God's creation is vast, way beyond us. Just like when he said, I had a relationship before the foundations of the world's way beyond me. And it had a little dot and it said, you are here. And I said, really? And he said, so he started to explain to me. And I loved this man because he was a, he was a believer himself. And our project that I was on actually looked way down one of the legs of the Milky Way and by Vega, which is light years away looking for Earth-sized planets. And it made me quickly realize when God said the east is to the west and I thought about the Milky Way and I thought about this little dot to dot where I was going it's multiple light years away which is incredibly length of time that I couldn't get in a rocket play, get in a rocket and start moving our kids, our kids, our kids, our kids couldn't get there it just, it's, it's just un, it's unfathomable I thought he doesn't care if I repent he does not care because if I'm looking at a little in, tiny speck on this huge Milky Way that he created, he doesn't care. So I always say draw a line in the sand today and let's move forward. Don't look backwards. Don't step backwards because he doesn't care. Once I repent, once I say I am, want to give this up, Father, we move forward. He's like, cool, let's move. You can be like me. It took me 12 years to figure out something God was telling me like, you know, Steve, you want to wake up 12 years later? And I think after I finally got to like, okay, okay, I get it. Everyone's like, woo, Steve finally got it. You know, for crying out loud, get on the train, dude. You know, it, but that's the way we are, right? That's our human nature. We kind of resistant to God. So I just want to encourage you. And let me close here. I want to encourage you. Don't stop today. Just because you're not here, just because you're not moving there, just because you're not connected there. Let this text show you who your Savior is and why we placard him so much here. Why and what we are in Christ. Because when my Savior, people in a fight, when my Savior says something, I could haggle. You know, people always haggle, oh, Paul didn't really get it right, or Peter didn't really, you know. But you say, hey, my Lord and Savior said it. You're saying my Lord is wrong. So, let me encourage everybody because I encourage you myself. I'm, I'm, not, I'm down here with you in the chairs. Let us take time to understand what Jesus has done for us and why he loved you so much. Because Jeff has been saying multiple times, we have a mission field coming. Our love for the Savior is going to come out of us when we love and understand what he's done for us. It'll make it naturally easy to be investing in seeking and hunting an opportunity for missions. So if we have missions, we've talking about all their missions abroad. I wanted to focus on Christ because once we understand Christ, it's kind of a lot easier to want to share and talk about him because we understand what he's done for us. With that, let me close. Dear Heavenly Father, I just praise you that you are a merciful and gracious God that you've loved us so much that you handpicked each one of us to you. Your son says so. Your son desires that we know you 
because you loved him, he loves you, and he wants us part of that unity, and you have brought us into, as it says, as we are heirs in your family. Praise you, Father, that you are merciful. Praise you that you move us. Praise you that you strengthen us. And praise you that you lift us up and carry us when we are not capable. Father, may we focus on your son and you this week. And Father, I pray that you bring people in our lives so that we are able to talk about you, to share what you're doing. Father, give us the boldness, give us the strength, and give us the encouragement. I pray all these things, Father, in your son's holy name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.